Hey everyone, I'm Patrick Jones, and welcome to episode 57. That gives me anxiety. How was your Christmas? If you celebrate Christmas. I mean, it's still a day, even if you don't celebrate it. So, how was your day? (laughs) I'm actually recording this early before I even go to New York and experience Christmas, so I can't speak to how it is, but I bet it was wonderful. Wine. Maybe some ham. Hopefully some ham. I gotta come up with some recipes for what I'm gonna cook. Considering some from scratch tomato soup. Maybe some stuffing. That butternut squash. I've been making this butternut squash with curry soup. My pulled chicken is phenomenal. But I I don't know if that's Christmas is the day, right? That's like a a day after. Any other day but Christmas. I think I'm actually traveling back on the day that this episode comes back. Back to Charleston. Back to my bed. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what people think about the uh, the shorter episodes that I've been doing on holidays or around holidays to give myself a little break, but also still keep the feed pumping. I, I don't know why I said it like that or why I was scratching my leg so loudly. I have the audio of that. Did <laughs> didn't come through. <laughs> But yeah, I would seriously be uh, interested to hear what people think of those. Once in a while, just a little Five Things Giving Me Anxiety episode coming up. But I'll keep the intro short this week since uh, since I am traveling and uh, I need to take care of a lot of errands before I do go on this trip back to see the family. Though I do have a great episode lined up here for you. Today we're again speaking with CEO of the Dave Thomas Foundation, Rita Sorenen. This time we're talking about a study that the foundation does every couple of years to sort of gauge the general public's awareness and and thoughts on adoption. There's some surprising aspects of of the study, and it's a way to further educate yourself if you are considering adoption or just to be an educated person in society. If we need more of those, we'll take everyone we can get. But before we get to you speaking to Rita, I just want to remind you that if you're liking the show, to please remember to rate and review it on whatever platform you're listening to it on. That helps the show out a lot. You can check the show out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or YouTube. YouTube is where you can see the Minnesota Vikings hat I'm wearing because I have bedhead. You know, let's just be honest with one another here. Want to tip my cap? My, oh, look at that hair. I literally just tip the cap to people listening and not watching the video. But yeah, I wanted to tip the cap to Pure Spectrum CBD, who's offering the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 15% off your orders. I'll put the link in the description wherever you're listening. And then there's the Buy Me a Coffee link. If you're liking the show and you want to support it and support me, you can do so by making a direct donation through the link, which is also in the description. Well, yeah, I I hope your day was wonderful gearing up for new years and you know there's usually a a bit of headiness that comes with that right new year you tend to think a little bit longer term what are your goals for 2023 just be nice to yourself as always thank you so much for listening and enjoy the interview Joining me now on the podcast, I have Rita Surinen coming back from the Dave Thomas Foundation. Rita, thank you so much for, for being here again. Oh my gosh, thanks for having me back. 
Yeah, well, we had we had such a lovely uh, chat last time that we wanted to keep it going and, and talk a little bit more about uh, adoption and, and what your organization does. And, and this, the, I, I forget the, the name of the study, I, my apologies, but uh, we're going to we're going to do a little in-depth discussion about the research that you guys have been doing. Yeah, and it's it's a Harris poll survey on um, both Americans and Canadians' attitudes toward foster care, foster care adoptions, their perceptions, their misperceptions. Um, but we'll just be talking about the U.S. one today. Awesome! So much there to to dig into. I learned so much from the other discussion that we had, and and I encourage people if you're you know keep listening if you're listening to this one, but also go back and, and listen to the full episode on adoption that we've already done. But for people who haven't, people are just clicking this one for first. Why don't we start by you going over a little bit about the Dave Thomas Foundation? Sure. The Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is a, a national nonprofit public charity. We're actually celebrating our 30th year this year. And we were created by Dave Thomas, the founder of Wendy's, who created us separate from the Wendy's business as an organization that could dedicate itself to really increasing awareness about children in foster care, who they are, what the system is all about. And then we're also a grant-making organization. So we provide funding to other organizations that help to aggressively and efficiently move children out of foster care into adoptive homes. The reason that's so important is there are today, as we're sitting here talking, about 117,000 children in the United States foster care system who are there through no fault of their own. They've been abused or neglected. And their case has risen to such a level that their parents' rights have been permanently severed from them. In other words, they're essentially legal orphans in the United States waiting for an adoptive family. And those children can tend to linger for much too long in foster care while they wait for a family to step forward. So we step in and make sure that the public has information, education, uh, linked to resources, and understands what the issue is again, while we fund other organizations to help make sure that these children can get out of foster care as quickly as possible and into permanent homes. Incredible. Yeah, it's 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 such a, a lofty and, and worthwhile organization that's doing fantastic things. So yeah, uh, and we do go fully in depth on that in the last episode, but just to give everyone a, a baseline to make sure that we understand uh, what the organization does. So you have this study. Is it conducted annually or is this something that you do every so often? We do it every so often. It's a it's a national scan by the Harris poll. So the people that mm-hmm. mostly I think people know them from political polling during yeah. election times, but they do all kinds of other polling and surveys. And we've been doing it actually since 2002. When we started in 2002, we didn't know if it was going to be just a one-shot effort. At that point, it was just, hey, it might be a good idea as we're developing awareness campaigns as we're thinking about expanding our our reach across the United States, we really need to know what people think and feel about this conversation to help drive messaging and campaigns. But then we realized that going forward, it's, it's a great idea to continue to do this survey, and then we can benchmark shifts in attitudes, trends, the kinds of things that help us even get better at messaging and educating the public. So we do it every five years. It feels like it's a long span in between, but take, for example, the last two years. Things happen in such an incredible way in this country that have impact. So a longer span of time helps us get, I think, a better snapshot of attitudes and perceptions and perhaps where we've succeeded and where we haven't done as well as we could to help drive 
the right messaging. So this is now we the last one that we completed and the one we're talking about today was completed in November of 2021, but we've just released it this year. So it's it's data from 2021 essentially. And keep in mind, we were in the midst of coming out of a pandemic and people's attitudes, we don't know, may have been entirely different than they would have been if we hadn't had the pandemic. But, but we found some interesting things. Ooh, very excited to get into it. But it, I mean, this is such a common practice, like you mentioned, for political candidates. I mean, big McDonald's does this on branding to make sure that they're connecting. It, it, it's just a way of reaching out. So it's it's great to hear that you're able to use this information. And it must be so interesting. I, I always, I'm, I, I really enjoy analytics and stuff like that. So just, just pouring over the data sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, and it's fascinating. And of, of course, the, the experts at Harris Poll know the number of people that they poll, what's an effective number to get a real snapshot. And so more than 1,400 adults participated in this survey. We also do an oversampling of Black Americans and Hispanic Americans, just because particularly in the child welfare system, there are issues of race that, that are, are important in this, in this conversation. So we want to make sure that we're getting the kinds of information from all populations that we can. It's weighted to be representative of the United States population. But one thing to keep in mind, it's sort of an invitation in survey. They don't just throw this out there and hope randomly people find the survey and participate. They've got this whole mechanism of bringing pools of people in for surveys. So it's, uh, although it's not predisposed to people who have adopted or haven't adopted or have been part of the foster care system, but it's sort of a, in whatever magic they use, it's an invitation in kind of survey. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's good context to, uh, to add to that messaging. Can we talk? I know you've got a lot on your plate. You've got work, you've got friends, you've got family, pets, you've got the people that you make small talk with at the coffee shop or gym. You've got that bird that you see when you wake up every morning outside your window that you've projected things onto. Look at that bird. Doesn't even love its family. It's always by itself. You do that. Everyone does that. Point is, you've got a lot on your plate. Well, that's why there's Instacart to take a little bit off your plate. Using Instacart, you search for all your favorite foods and things that you need from the grocery store all online, all while you're looking at that bird wondering why it hasn't called its mom. And they deliver it to you. They go to the store and do the shopping for you. And they can deliver it in as fast as an hour. And you can sign up by clicking the link in the description, wherever you're listening or watching. And that's a great way of supporting the show. So it's a great way of supporting this show. It's a great way to make your life a little bit easier because we all know that you have so much going on, like wondering whether that bird judges you back. I'm curious when you say uh, attitudes towards adoption, in, in what sense, like what are, how are you framing that? Yeah. So what we're looking at is what is the likelihood? What's the consideration? Are you likely to consider adopting? Uh, what do you feel about the foster care system? Are you, are you positive about it? Are you very negative about it? Where do you learn your information? What do you think we should be doing to address this? Should we be doing more or less? And so that's built out in literally hundreds of questions. And, and I'll, I'll, just as an aside, if anybody wants to see the full survey and all of the questions, and there's a lot of information 
population. I think there's more than 100 slides of data on the website with all of the questions. And, and if anybody wants to do a deep dive, they can go to DaveThomasFoundation.org and find it. But we'll just talk about some of those, the top lines today. And so how familiar are, familiar are you with this notion of adoption, foster care adoption? How likely are you to consider fostering or adopting? Um, what do you believe the barriers are? What are the concerns? How do you think healthy families identify themselves? Who do you think could be a healthy family for an adopted child? So we really drill into all of that because the the, the end result is if there's a, a glaring misperception that we see, then we need to do a better job of addressing that. And I'll give you one prime example. And this is one that we may have talked about last time, but it, it just keeps me up at night. When we say, you know, why are children in foster care? The majority of Americans understand this notion of abuse or neglect. But then when you drill down with some more questions, 51%, so a majority of Americans believe that children are in foster care because they've done something wrong. And they actually say because they're juvenile delinquents. So we know at the front end that children come into care through no fault of their own. Yeah. This is not something that they've done. They are, there may be acting out behaviors because of the, the, the issues that they've experienced, the grief and loss that they're experiencing, but they have done nothing wrong. And yet, if 51% of Americans believe children are there because they've done something wrong, they're juvenile delinquents, they've already put this sheen of badness around them, then they're less likely to step in and help, right? They're less likely to advocate for changes in a system because they've already written these children off. So we've got to do a much better job to say, I don't care how old this child is in care. I don't care what he or she has experienced. I don't care how he or she identifies themselves. They're in foster care as a child that deserves our every effort to make sure they can either go home to their original family or if not, then, then be adopted. So this that's one of those incredible data points that we pull out and say, okay, we've got to do a much better job in our messaging. Oh, that one hit me like a punch to the chest. That's, no. that's no. negative. Oh my gosh. And, and, and surprising, but yeah, that that's excellent. I mean, if, if that's the case, right, it's better right. to know that. And you can educate towards that as opposed to not knowing. So trying to find the positive spin and Absolutely. That, you guys are on it. You're going to take care of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, it speaks to, look, we, we don't think highly of teens to begin with, right? If you go to a party and you start talking about teens, everybody's face screws up because they're doing what they're supposed to do. They're being defiant. They're, they're asserting their independence. But add that, that sort of mystical conversation of foster care in there for folks that don't, may not know a lot about it, then it's just this sort of, this, this just double jeopardy for the child themselves. Yeah, right. Yeah. And, and, and as you mentioned, the child is going to be acting out naturally. And then when you throw on top of this, the grief and loss, I mean, just wanted to underline what you said there that some of these kids, it's unfathomable to put even empathize with them for what they've been through and, exactly. and through no fault of their own at all. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, just, just exactly. Yeah. There is some good news here. What we did find out is of, of people who have not adopted. So the question is, you know, have you ever adopted? The answer is no. Well, then how likely are you to consider adopting? That went up significantly. It actually went up 12 points this round from the last round in 2017. So that 37, it's still not a lot, but 37% of Americans are considering adopting. Mm -hmm. And of those, if they then said, yes, I would consider adopting, what kind of adoption would you consider? And so there are three kinds that are identified 
identified throughout the survey. Infant, domestic infant adoption, international adoption, cross-border adoption, or foster care adoption. Those are really, we don't talk about step-parent adoption because that's something that, that doesn't fall in this sort of mm -hmm. really extended process of adopting. And uh, so of those, of that 37% that said they would consider adopting, 82% or up three points said they would consider foster care adoption. That's huge to us that uh, not only just a majority, but a vast majority of Americans who are thinking about adopting are at the same time. Now, this doesn't mean they're necessarily going to go forward and do it, but in a, if they're thinking about foster care adoption as something they would consider, then they've got they've either got enough information or they feel comfortable enough to continue to get information and pursue that option. That's good news to us. Absolutely. Yeah, that's not a dead end right there. It's it's at least being open. Yeah, that's that's great news. And and do you think I mean it's it's outrageous to expect a hundred percent, but do you right. think 18% leans more towards having an infant for whatever reason? Or, you know, it just may be because you mentioned in, in the last episode that a lot of foster adoptions would be for a child a little bit older than than an infant. So I'm just trying to put that 18% in, in a little bit of perspective for people. That's absolutely it, because we also ask, okay, if you're considering adopting, what age child would you consider? And this is again, so this is all good news, bad news, good news, bad news yeah. for us. And, and yet, uh, make no mistake, and I want to back up a little bit, I would never try and dissuade someone who believes what's best for their family as an infant. That's what they've got their heart set on. That's what they want to do. We are incredibly supportive of that. And if there's any way that we can help provide resources, information, we would do that. It's not our mission, but but I would never, never try to dissuade someone from that. Having said that, because we know the average age of a child care of a child in foster care waiting to be adopted is about eight or nine, that's not who we're talking about for our mission. Right. So what we found out is when we asked people who are thinking about adopting, what age preference do you have? 59% of Americans have a preference for a child aged five or younger, and that's up two percentage points. And in fact, only 3% of Americans would prefer thinking about a child at age 13 or older. Again, not really a surprise, right? I think if we walked out on the street and just said the word adoption, what do most people think? I think they think infant adoption, yeah. international or domestic infant. That's just sort of in our, in our DNA. Adoption must mean I'm going to bring a, a baby into my home that's not biologically mine. So I think again, it, it helps us frame our messaging, helps us talk about who's in, who's in foster care, what are the ages, what are the consequences of allowing a child to grow up and age out of foster care? Because we also know that most Americans consider adopting from foster care because they want to help a child. So there's an altruistic bent behind that. We just need to make that leap of, hmm, you, have you ever thought about adopting a, something other than an infant? So it, again, it just gives us room to, to, to fine tune our messaging, to continue to talk about who these children are, why they're as viable, as full of potential, and, and, as, and as phenomenal for a family as any other child would be. Absolutely. Yeah. It feels like just in, in, in my life when I've heard people discuss adoption, and so in no way is this a broad spectrum, just have to disqualify that. There's a lot of here, I'd prefer to get a child younger because yada, 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 the notion being that they're maybe too far in one direction and you can't help them, which is outrageous, I would say. I, I think in in that sense, you're you're giving up on people can be 
helped and, and saved and all that. And so I just wanted to throw that tidbit in there. No, it's true. And sometimes it's it's really just a matter of level setting reality, right? If if you're thinking about adopting a 16-year-old who has been in care for seven years, who's moved five or six times while in care, there may be some behavioral issues. I'm not going to try and sugarcoat that at all. I'm not saying they all would or wouldn't, but there may be some 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 understandable behavioral issues yeah. while they're still grappling with the grief and loss that they've experienced and, and all of the mistrust they may now have of systems and adults. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to do a, a good job at making sure that people, as they're thinking about adopting perhaps an older, an older youth, that they also get connected to networks and resources and other parents who've adopted perhaps teens and make sure they understand all of the uh, state-based or, or federal-based financial resources that may be available to them, assistance with college, that financial subsidies follow these children. So there's there's financial help for these families. So again, I would never try to persuade or dissuade someone based on an age preference for a child coming into their home. But if we also give them the right kind of information that that may dispel some of the fears or anxiety about adopting a teen, then, then, then we go a long way toward making sure that children don't age out of foster care. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious, what uh, what did you find most surprising about this this data? I think that the little bit of inconsistencies that, that we found, for example, we asked, do you think as a society we should be doing more to help children to make sure that the system doesn't allow children to age out of foster care? Because we know that when a child ages out of foster care, they're at 18 without a family they're much more likely to have negative consequences in their life. They're much more likely to be homeless, much more likely to be undereducated, unemployed, early parents jumping into other systems or substance abuse, not because they're bad kids, because they can't make a mistake, because they don't have the safety net of family around them. So we said, should should we be doing more? Given that, should we be doing more? And 85% of Americans said, yes, absolutely. We should be doing more to stop this process of allowing children to age out. And yet there's 30% of Americans who say, no, it's okay. Children who age out will be fine. Well, wait a minute, which way is it? You know, they're going to be okay or they're not going to be okay. I don't blame the public. This is a complex conversation. I think it puts the, the onus on us to, again, help people understand, wait, no child is ready to be without a family at 18. No human's ready to be without a family oh, at 18 yeah. or 28 or 38. We sh- none of us should live without the security of family surrounding us. So let's not, even though you say, yes, society, someone else should be doing more. Let's not also believe they'll be okay. They'll pull themselves up by their bootstraps and they'll become, and many of them do. Make no mistake. These are children who have learned how to thrive and survive on their own. They shouldn't have to. Right. Absolutely. Well, the one nice thought too with that is that, you know, you could have been asking a bunch of optimists there, right? <laughs> you know, that are just like, oh, those kids will be great, right? <laughs> exactly. True. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm have my glass half full here and, and the sun <laughs> is going to shine. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know, this, one thing that, again, surprised us in a positive way, 65% of Americans say every child is adoptable. And that's an increase of nine points. Again, a, a significant statistical increase. And that's been our mantra for the past almost two decades. Every child is adoptable. Unadoptable is unacceptable. There is no reason why a child based on age, based on how they define themselves, based on their journey through complex child welfare system, there's no reason a child should be unadoptable. So I think that message is coming through when 
65% could be higher, but it's still up almost, almost 10 points of the public saying, yes, every child is adoptable. That's wonderful to hear. And, and this may not be a part of the study, but it might be something that you know. Has the number of people who have, let's say, approached your organization increased over the last little bit or gone through another route? Like, are there more candidates for adoption? Uh, I think I think so. What you'll hear in the press right now is that struggle for foster parents. Hmm. It's a it's a tough time for agencies to be finding foster parents, which in a way has an impact on adoption because what we know is about sixty percent or more folks who are foster parents turn into adoptive parents. It makes sense, right? They know those children. Those children not suddenly are freed for adoption. They don't want to lose track of them. They they've come to, to know and love them. So they turn around and adopt them. So we get, yes, we've had a significant increase in people because we've, we've broadened our reach. We've broadened our programs. We've broadened our messages. We have some significantly more connectivity to the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. But I think it's, it's making that shift from getting information to doing something, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think agencies across the United States are still struggling for the adequate number of foster parents and therefore adoptive parents to step in. Got it. I'm curious, you have this data, how does it shift how the organization moves forward? It, yeah, no, it's it's great. It, it's a great question because we've got this now three, four different surveys, however many it is from 2002 to, 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 to 2021. We've got this great wealth of information and, and we can see the shifts. And most of the questions are benchmark. In other words, it's the exact same question each mm-hmm. five years. So we can tell what the shift is. It, it helps us say, you know, we're doing all right here, but we need to do better there. So it will help us. Do we need to have a louder voice on dispelling the myths and misperceptions around these children? Do we need to do more podcasts, more TV interviews, more radio interviews? Do we need to consider more on the road conference presentations, the kinds of things, thought leadership papers, all of those things that where's the cadence that we can finally say we've gotten this message across that children in foster care are not juvenile delinquents. You know, until that number goes under 25%, we're not hitting that one. And so what is it that we need to do on a marketing, on a messaging, on a program basis that can change that attitude? And, and I take that one very seriously. And I've put this one on my staff very seriously. We've got it. We've got to change this number. It cannot go up again. Right. Um, so it will help us redefine as we're strategically thinking about programs and, and, and messaging. It helps us do that. As we work with states and scale programs that we're taking to scale, it also helps us. We're doing a, a sort of a companion survey that we don't have the results yet on professionals' attitudes toward permanency. In other words, sometimes when we're trying to move children to adoption, we get barriers with social workers or with judges for different reasons. Um, you know, a child says, no, thank you. I don't want to be adopted. And everyone stops and says, fine, we'll put them on the emancipation track. We'll let them age out of foster care. Instead of understanding what's behind that, no, thanks. I don't want to be adopted. I've been abused. I've been abandoned. Adults have treated me badly. I hate this system. I just need to get out and go. If I get adopted, you're just going to induce me to a whole nother set of problems. So we've begun to shift some of our training too, to make sure that that professionals what understand what's behind a, a no, but we to do more of that we've got to get a snapshot. So we've we've done a survey of thousands of uh, attorneys, judges, um, social workers, agency leadership 
to, to understand what are their attitudes toward permanency. Do they believe that all children are adoptable? Do they believe that every child should have a permanent home? What do they understand are the barriers to that? And that again will help us as we're contracting with states and trying to do public-private partnerships and expand programs. It'll help us better understand where are the pressure points that need to be pushed on training, on education, on no excuses, you know, no right. excuses about this child is unadoptable. No, we won't accept that as a, as a as a plan for this child. What's your next plan? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's great. I, I mean, gosh, people that work on, on I'll, I'll refer to it as like the front lines of, of dealing with finding foster parents and, and in the courts. I mean, it, it must be like a, a surgeon who has to almost put up a, an emotional shield just because they're they're dealing in, in basically life and death matters here, right? It, it's got to be, they've got to be so overwhelmed that if a child says, no, I don't want to be adopted, that they're like, oh, I can't, I can't even imagine the horrors. I, I just have to move to the next one. And so part of that is trying to get states more resources, I, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And there's profound wor worker turnover now. I have such profound respect for frontline caseworkers and social workers who have to deal with this, you're right, every day, not only going into people's homes, trying to, to provide the kind of services they need on limited resources. They're underpaid, overwhelmed, and then, you know, move through judicial systems that often are depending on the size of, of the city they're working in that are often dealing with delays and backlogs, it can be grueling and frustrating. Absolutely. So resources, 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 and support and, and honoring, you know, we hear the, hear the bad stories in the news, but honoring the work that social workers do, honoring the work that judges and, and magistrates and CASA guardians ad litem do, elevating that into the, you're right, the triage life and death situation that they experience every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my gosh. One of life's mysteries is that birthdays always find me unprepared, catch me unprepared. I don't go on Facebook as much, so I, I don't notice them as much. But I want I want to express my love and, and appreciation for friends and family. That wasn't part of the copy, I'm just saying it. <laughs> year after year, month after month. Even when I see it coming, I'm not ready. Am I a jerk? Yes and no. <laughs> Why do things have to be so black and white for you? But I've got great news, friends. Introducing monthly card subscriptions from the Cardist Studio. Join the service that delivers the card and the stamp that you'll need to your door. No more errands. Uh, who wants more errands? I don't know why, but I'm starting to think of errands as a kid's name. Errands go back to bed. <laughs> okay, but here's how it works. You choose your categories. From birthdays and celebrations to love and encouragement. Or select their full collections and have those thank you notes and just because cards at the ready. Those ones are always so nice. Like when you get a card for doing something and it's just like a small little heads up. Or, or token of appreciation. It genuinely makes you feel really good. And best of all, you would never get caught cardless again. Let me repeat, you'll never get caught cardless again. Try to say that a bunch of times in a row. You'll never get caught cardless again. Monthly card subscriptions from as little as $8 per month for the card and the stamp. 
delivered to you. The CarterStudio.com shop subscriptions. And you can use the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 15% off your originating order. If you could snap your fingers, make 100% of Americans believe one thing, it may be the juvenile delinquent, but it may, in case it's something else, what, what would it be? What do you think is the most important thing that you wish you can get across to every American? I think that, that one, children are there through no fault of their own, absolutely no fault of their own, and two, that every one of them can live and thrive in a, in a, in a family. And families are as diverse as the children that, that, that are in the foster care system. So respecting the diversity of families and honoring that. But yes, that, that <laughs> no fault of their own and every child, every child deserves a family, not just some children, not just the little ones, not just the cute ones. Every child deserves a family. Here, here. We, we discussed this in the last episode, but I think it's important to also add here, it, it was very heartwarming to understand, but there are quite a bit of, of resources. So when someone does adopt someone, it's not like, here you go, good, good luck for the next lifetime. Uh, can you tell, talk a little bit about the resources available for people who do decide to uh, welcome a child into their home? Absolutely. And first and foremost, the agency that they work with is just rich with resource knowledge mm -hmm. in their community. So if particularly if there's a special need that they have a mental health need post-adoption or a physical need post-adoption or even a, a resource need, they are experts in where those resources are in their community. Mm -hmm. But for children in foster care, again, um, financial resources tend to follow them. Is it ever enough? No, it's expensive to raise children. But for these children in particular, there are subsidies that follow the majority of these children on a monthly basis, post-adoption until they're 18 or 21 sometimes. There tend to be in a, a lot of states, there are educational vouchers for children. If, for example, you adopted a 16-year-old and you say, well, I didn't, I didn't save for 18 years for college for this child. How am I going to afford that? There's been recognition at the federal and state level that that's the case. And so there are educational vouchers at oh, state great. schools frequently that, that help these children get through school. There are parent networks that, again, the agency can connect folks to or through the North American Council on Adoptable Children. They have this, this rich resource of parent networks across the nation because there's not nothing better than talking to someone else that's in the same position as you are, that's experiencing the same things as you are. So those are available to families. Frequently at your place of business, there are, you know, one of the programs that we promote is an adoption-friendly workplace. If as a workplace, you provide benefits to families that are formed through birth, why the heck wouldn't you provide benefits to families that are formed through adoption, whether it's paid leave over and above family medical leave, if it's, uh, it's financial assistance at some level. And so many businesses have taken that on. But in addition to that, and particularly with larger organizations, there tend to be affinity groups within that business of people, you know, there's a, there's a support group for parents who have adopted, or there's an educational webinar on how to go about adopting. So lots of those resources exist. They just tend to be under the radar. And, and we can, we've got all kinds of lists here at the foundation too. We can connect people to resources. Incredible. So there, there's just so much out there. So, I mean, that coming into these conversations, I mean, I, I mentioned in the last episode, my grandparents became foster parents and then adoptive parents. So I kind of saw it from that perspective, but haven't really considered so much the the opposite end of, of doing that myself and, and my initial 
thought was, oh my gosh, like how would I, how would I do that? Right. It, it feels so daunting. I mean, because it's a tremendous responsibility, Absolutely. but there's just, it's so nice to hear that it, that's comp- like eliminate that off your mind. There, <laughs> there is help. There is help. And, and, you know, single parents adopt, same sex couples adopt, older folks adopt who have already perhaps raised a biological family of their own. And they're like, I don't like having an empty house. I need, I want more kids. <laughs> um, so, you know, the door is wide open to people that are interested. And I think it just takes, it does take some perseverance. You're dealing with government systems and, and it, it takes a, a, a true sense of self. What do I want? What do I need? What does my family want? What does my family need? But I think that human altruism comes through when we talk about children in foster care. They need someone to step up and and grab their hand. That's simply it. And everything else we can help with. Love it. Absolutely. That's great. I just want to make sure, is there anything else about the the study that you wanted to touch upon? I'm looking at some of my data here, see if we uh, missed anything. I think we hit most of it. The rest is the devil's in the details. You know, again, I would encourage folks to go on the website and really plow through that that research because it's fascinating. And 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 all of the other past ones are up there too. So you can, there's a summary, you can see the trends and, and what's been going on. But know that the Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption is simply committed to not only making sure these children have a home, but doing it in a way that's that's informed. You know, we could go out there and just do the best of marketing campaigns and and have people, you know, weeping, I think, oh, I should go help a child. But we want to do it in a way that's informed, that's educational, that respects what these children are experiencing, that respects who they are, and then help people get to the, the, the logical end if that's where they're headed, which is an incredible adopted child in their home. Ah, that's, yeah, absolutely. There seems to be a a bit of an awakening towards the importance of mental health. You know, we see this in in big time athletes like Simone Biles, you know, talking about, I mean, that goes a long way. And so hopefully as we begin to respect each other's mental health and and we can project it onto others and, and project it onto these children who we'll say again, through no fault of their own, are, are in a tough spot and do need some help. Exactly. It shouldn't be a stigma. It shouldn't be a barrier to getting them a family. Uh, and I think we talked about this last time, asking for help should never, never be something shameful from a family about a child or about themselves. Asking for help is, is what we're all conditioned to do is to reach out and help. We've got to make sure that when someone asks for help, they don't feel shamed or, or like a failure. Absolutely. Well, uh, how can people work with your foundation? Where, where can they find you? They can find us most easily at the website, davethomasfoundation.org. We've got an 800 line as well that's answered during business hours. We're on Eastern time, 800-ASK-DTFA for Dave Thomas Foundation for Adoption. And we've so if they'd rather talk to somebody or they can send us an email through the website and we can answer their questions and just reach out and, and let us know what you need. Obviously, as a nonprofit organization, we're always happy to take donations from folks as well. Mm-hmm. If that's, you know, if that's how they feel they can help, we are delighted. They need to know that 90 cents of every dollar that comes into the foundation goes directly out into programs and services. So those dollars are well stewarded and well used. That's great. Yeah, that, that's always, I mean, that's a big concern when people do donate to charitable organizations. I mean, that's a great uh, amount that, yeah. that's going. So yeah. yeah, well, absolute pleasure speaking to you again. Let's stay in touch and uh, yeah. let me know if, if there's anything else I can do to help you. 
Absolutely. Let's do it. I, I, I love talking to you, Pat, and it's, it's been a good conversation. So thank you for paying attention to this cause. And hopefully we've relieved a little bit of anxiety about adoption. Absolutely. Yes, I hope so too. <laughs> Have right. a great one. A lot of interesting stuff there. It's unfathomable to, oh man, so surprised I didn't slur on that word. That's a word you could trip over and fall all the way down the stairs. <laughs> but I nailed it. But now that I've had an aside, I've got to say it again. Here it goes. Pressure's on. It is unfathomable that people can judge kids that are in uh, the, the foster care I keep wanting to say industry, but that's not correct. Just better just in foster care. It's not like they're bad kids. That doesn't necessarily mean they're bad kids. And anyway, they're kids, right? I mean, what were you like as a kid? You probably did some stupid crap and you wouldn't want to be judged or had your whole life hinged on, on decisions that you or, or actions that you took at that part of your life. I, I know I wouldn't. So yeah, hopefully Rita and the Dave Thomas Foundation can help continue to improve people's perceptions of children in the foster care system. Well, thank you again to Rita. Before I get to the weird thing causing me anxiety this week, there's the Buy Me a Coffee link in the description where you can make a, do a direct donation to the show. Always appreciated. Remember, Pure Spectrum CBD is offering the promo code ANXIETYPOD for 15% off your orders. Please take advantage of that. That's in the description. This is all, in, it's all in the description, you know, make it easy for you. If you want to sign up for Instacart by signing up through the link in the description, you're telling Instacart that this show sent you, which helps support the show. And then there's the Cardist Studio who also offers the promo code AnxietyPod for your initial offer. You'll get 15% off for your initial order. Jeez, offer, offer, offer. Okay, so the weird thing causing me anxiety this week you know, I'm recording this early, but there's just so much stress, right? I'm leading up to uh, at least a week in New York. A lot of a lot of the Christmas gifts that I got, I, I sent to New York, but uh, a bunch of the ones that I ordered Jamie, you know, we're going to do some presents here, some presents we get back, but basically none of them have arrived, <laughs> which is a big problem. So yeah, that's what's stressing me out right now. Of course, you know, a lot of the errands and mailed stuff for Jamie's family and hopefully they're getting there. But hopefully this all just leads to just a calming down and some red wine and watching It's a Wonderful Life and just relaxing. Well, as always, thank you so, so much for listening. Have a great week. Have a great New Year's. And I'll talk to you on Thursday.